Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, everybody. I am uh, so excited to be up here speaking today, um, and really excited to be speaking in this series. I, I, this has been an awesome series uh, for my soul, and I hope it's been great for you guys as well. Um, I remember back in November, uh, we were putting together, me and a few other people were putting together a list of the sermons we wanted to share. Uh, we felt like God was calling us to share with, with the congregation as a whole, and um, we, we knew we wanted to do a book of the Bible, but we didn't know which one, uh, verse through verse by verse. And uh, I remember, I don't remember who said it, but somebody said we should do the book of James. And we just all felt like God was saying, like, yes, that's what we need to do. And so um, I hope this, this message will be a blessing to you guys as much as it has been to me to dive into it. Um, and so feel free, if you brought your brick-and-mortar Bibles, we're going to be in uh, James chapter 4. Um, so feel free to open to that. But uh, before we do, I'm going to do a little bit of setup. Um, but you guys can go ahead and open. Um, I believe that to, at least today's message and, and the book of James as a whole does a really good job of showing what um, was going on in their culture and, and the parallels that really are going on in our, in our culture today. Um, and so it starts out with James 1.1. The very beginning of James says this. Um, the, this letter is from James a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is important right here. It says, I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. And so I believe that, uh, like I said, it, there's so much correlation of what was going on then to what's going on now. Um, back then, they, uh, because they were believers in Jesus, they were scattered around the nation because of their faith, because if they had stayed in the main city, they would have been persecuted, imprisoned for their faith, whatever. So they had to scatter. And so they ended up in about 12 different groups. That's why he's talking about the 12 tribes. And, um, and, and when you're scattered, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of times you'll miss things. We just came out of a pandemic where we were scattered. Um, I missed people. Uh, maybe some people didn't miss people, but I missed people. Uh, I missed giving hugs. I'm a hugger. I got that from my Aunt Barb. Um, I missed crowded movie theaters. I missed, and if you're a huge sports fan, you probably missed this as well, um, people in the stands at sporting events because the, the, audible, the audible cheers are just, they were so fake and it was so annoying. Um, and, and if you're a huge sports fan, you know what I'm talking about. But um, when March Madness uh, happened this, this March, they had in-person seating, and so I bought as many tickets as I could, and I went to as many games as I could. Um, didn't know any of the teams, some of the teams that were playing. Didn't know the people I was sitting next to, but we were having a grand old time watching some basketball. So it was great to, to not miss that anymore. But when we're scattered, we can miss things. And uh, so we're just going to open up to James chapter 4, and we're going to go verse by verse, starting in verse 1. It says, it, James opens with a question. He says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? And so here's, here's, a, here's the point James is making. He says, when people scatter, they chatter. See, when, when it's that whole principle of, you know, you're having a conversation with, with somebody, and then as soon as you leave the room, they start talking behind your back. That's, that's what was happening with these groups, of, these 12 groups. Um, they would hear what one group was doing, and they would be like, oh, no, we don't do it like that. That's not the way it's supposed to be done. And they were kind of talking behind each other's backs. And so he's going to point out, you know, what is causing these fights? That's the first question he asks. And so, you know, some people say distance 
makes the heart grow fonder, but it's also equally true that distance can make the heart grow harder. Distance, like I said, distance can make you miss things. Like we miss people, we miss sporting events, we miss hugs, we miss whatever, but it can also make you miss things. And what I mean by mi- the second miss is M-I-S. When, when there's distance between me and somebody else or you and somebody else, we might misunderstand what somebody's trying to say to us. We might mischaracterize what their argument was. We might misinterpret what they said. It's similar to the telephone game. So we do this at youth group from time to time where I'll say something like, I'll whisper something to somebody like, I want a pizza for dinner. And then they'll whisper it to the next person and the next person and the next person and the next person until it gets around and it says, they say, my dog has to go to the vet. And it has absolutely nothing to do with the first word that was said. Distance can make you miss. Same thing's true in basketball. Um, the people in basketball who have the best shooting percentage are the centers, the seven-foot-tall guys, for a couple reasons. One, they're the closest to the basket in terms of height, and they're the ones who just dunk the basketball or shoot the basketball from like a foot away. Um, they're not the guys who are taking the, the three-point shots. The further, you sh- the further you are away from the goal, the more likely you are to miss. Distance can make you miss. James is going to tell us, although there's nothing that he, he can do about the physical distance that, that everybody is experiencing, that the 12 tribes are experiencing, it, he says, there's nothing I can do about the physical distance, but if we live for a unified and a unified spirit and a unified vision for a unified person, then there's no amount of distance that's going to, no, no distance is going to make a difference. But I'm going to spend the rest of my message talking about three misses that we experience when there's distance between us and our relationship with God. The first one is we misappreciate. See, he's going to start off this chapter because a lot of these people, like I said, they're, they're hearing what people are doing. They're, they're hearing what people are saying. They're hearing the practices that, that these people are making. And, and, and the 12 tribes are just bickering back and forth about it. And so... Um, he's going to point something out. He's going to say, you know what? You're, you're focused on everyone else but yourself. And I think, again, that's just such a good correlation to what might be going on in our, our society today, that, that we're so focused on what other people are, are buying or where other people are going or what, what other people are wearing or fill in the blank. And it can really cause us to misappreciate the things that God has given us. This is what James chapter 4, verse 1 starts to say. It says, Doesn't the battle begin inside of you as you fight to have your own way and fulfill your own desires? He's trying to say, we're not, we're not worried about them. Let's not focus on them. They might have said something bad about you. They might have done something to you. We're not going to focus on them. We're going to focus on you today. This is going to be a pretty pointed message if you haven't already figured that out. He goes on and he says, You jealously want what others have, so you begin to see yourself as better than others. You scheme with envy and harm others to selfishly obtain what you crave. That's why you quarrel and fight. And all the time you don't obtain what you want because you won't ask God for it. And even if you ask God, you won't receive it because you're asking with corrupt motives, seeking only to fulfill your own selfish desires. It's that principle of, you know, we see somebody at the beach and we say, man, I wish, 
I wish I could, I could be at the beach right now. We see somebody get a new job, and we say, man, I just got let go from my job. Are you kidding me? We see one couple going and doing something. We say, man, I can't believe my spouse would never do that for me. We see a girl buy a new outfit, and suddenly we need a new outfit. You know what I'm saying? So James is saying if we're not going to be like that, if we're going to not be selfish and we're not going to focus on misvaluing what God's given us, we have to do two things. The first thing is we have to focus on what God's given us. Focus on what you have. And number two is fight to stay thankful for it. Focus on what you have and fight to stay thankful for it. I may not have that car, but at least I have a car. I may not have that marriage, but you know what? My wife and I, we're, we're struggling, but we're working through it together right now. I, my, my kid may not have straight A's. In fact, he may be a dummy, but you know what? At least he's going to church and he's cultivating his own faith. I know the, I know the cancer seems like it's winning right now, but there's still breath in my lungs. And if, if I'm not dead, then God's not done with me. The Bible puts it this way. It, it says, let joy be your continual feast. Make your life a prayer. And in the midst of everything, be always giving thanks. For this is God's perfect plan for you in Christ Jesus. See, when we're constantly focusing on what we have and being thankful for the things God's given us, we can celebrate what we have and we can celebrate what you have. But if we're not, if we're not content with where we're at, we're always going to be fighting to get higher up on the chain higher up to where somebody else is. Somebody else has it figured out. The truth is, it's the complete opposite, is, is what's actually right. See, someone else is praying for what you already have. My son is on my last nerve. Well, there's, there's a, a mother who's praying to be able to have a son. And there's also a mother who's grieving because she just lost her son, and she would do anything to have a son who is on her last nerve. My job just doesn't appreciate me. I've worked here for years, and I've never had a promotion once. There's people who are begging God to give them a job. I mean, my, my dumb car, Lord, can I have a car? So we're so focused on what's going on out in the world, and we're not focusing on what we have, and we're not fighting to stay thankful for it. The second thing we can do is we can misdiagnose. Not that we don't diagnose, but we, and not that we diagnose incorrectly, but we diagnose the wrong things. So like I said, these people, they're fighting with one another. These groups are fighting with one another. They're quarreling. They're complaining about one another. And James, this is what he's going to say. He's going to say, hey, guys, look, don't worry about them. And this is even the more important part. I can't change them but I can change me. And so James starts verse 4 out by saying this, a very important word, you. He starts off by saying the word you. And he's talking, about, he's talking to people who already have a relationship with Jesus. He's not talking about non-Christians or just anyone out on the road. He's talking about people who have a relationship with Jesus here. You have become spiritual adulterers who are having an affair an unholy relationship with the world. And this is what Mike was talking about last week, if you were here last week. Oh, man, I, uh, I, I can't come to this church anymore. I don't like the way they handled the COVID protocols. 
I, I don't like, I don't like this because I don't, I don't like, we don't do enough hymns, or we do too many hymns, or we do this, or we baptize this way, or we do whatever. There's a million things to complain about. And when we let the world fill our minds, when we let the world's values fill our minds, when we let culture take over our thinking, the Bible's going to tell us that God is, God, we are at odds with God. We're choosing culture and not kingdom. And I would ask you that question. If you have an issue, is it a culture issue? Is it your preference? Or is it a serious kingdom issue, a salvation issue, or something serious in the kingdom of God? Is it a culture issue or is it a kingdom issue? It's like when I hang out with, uh, I've got a friend named Jay. And, uh, you know, normally someone will go to the movies and, and I'll ask them, How, wh- what did you think of the movie? And they'll say, oh, it was average. My friend Jay, he uses the phrase aggressively average, which means average. Like, I don't know why he says aggressively average. But from hanging out with him, I've adopted the phrase aggressively average. I have another friend, Brianne. She says shuckleberries all the time. And a mutual friend of ours, uh, he, he says shuckleberries now as well whenever something goes wrong. It's the same thing. When, when we hear something from the world and we take over those values, that's the exact same thing we're doing. We're choosing culture and not kingdom. And that's when the Bible says we become God's enemy. We create more distance when we're supposed to close the distance. It goes on and says, Does the scripture mean nothing to you that says, The spirit that God breathed into our hearts is a jealous lover who intensely desires to have more and more of us. It's the God in, in heaven who's saying, look, I, I gave up my son because I want to have a relationship with you. But it's your choice. You can choose the world or you can choose me, but I want nothing more than to have a relationship with you. That's what Jesus is saying to us right now. And it's just so easy to look at someone else's life and say, no, he needs to fix that. That's, that's wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. That's, that's wrong. You should, you're, you're in the wrong here. And they might be. You're, you're, not, you're not doing this right. You're, you're, you're wrong. Here's the point. I don't have time to diagnose someone else's problems when I have enough sin of my own to deal with. We all have sin in our life. We all have areas that we haven't mastered. We all have areas in our life that are against God. But by looking at everyone else's sin... We waste time when we could be working on our own. We waste time pointing out other sin when we could be working on our own. The Gospels put it this way. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a redwood log in your own? We need to stop fighting with one another. We need to, we need to join together and we need to celebrate one another and not argue. How do we do that? The first step and I'll explain this in a minute, is stay down, stay low. Verse 6 says this. It says, God resists you when you're proud, but he continually pours out grace when you're humble. Continually, 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 over and over and over again, he does it. But when we're proud, when we can look at God, or when we look at a situation and we can say, I got this. I know the right verse. I'm good. I've got this, God. Don't worry. When something comes up and we say, no, God, I got this. I've put the right systems in place. I've got the right accountability in front of me. I'm good. I've got this. I can handle this situation. 
I'm good. God gave me a, a good brain. I can handle this business on my own. My business will do just fine. I'm, I'm good, God. I know how to parent my kids. My parents showed me the wrong way to do it, and I know the right way to do it. I'm good. That's what pride looks like. And when we're prideful, the Bible says God resists us, and there's even more distance that's created. But when we get low, and we humble ourselves, and we spend time with Jesus, and we just go to him, it says over and over and over again, constantly, continuously, he pours out his grace on us. And the verse, the verse goes on, it says, So then surrender to God, stand up to the devil, and resist him, and he will turn and run away from you. And here now we have two commandments. Get low to God and stand up to the devil. And it says it again. Move your heart closer and closer to God. Get low to God. And he will come even closer to you. Surrender, get low, and stand up. Get low and stand up. I think too often we find ourselves in the complete opposite position. We're, we're standing up to God. We say, God, I got this. I'm good. Something comes up, and then the, the last thing we do, the Hail Mary, is then we start praying. God, please help, my, help this person. I've done everything I can. We should start with prayer. We stand up to God, and we get low to the enemy. And when everything falls down, we just say, please, please leave my family alone tonight. Please don't let that pop up on the Internet. Please don't, don't bring another bill to me today. Please don't do that. We get low to the enemy. We need to do the complete opposite. And there's two principles that I live by when it comes to prayer. And if you're taking notes, I would love if you write these down because they're very valuable to me. The first one is, I'm going to do more than just pray, but I won't do anything until I pray. I'll repeat it. I'm going to do more than just pray, but I won't do anything until I pray. Start with prayer. Go to God in everything. Go to God in every situation. The second thing is something a pastor had told to me, and it's so valuable to me. It's the phrase, a man on his face can never fall from that position. That's true in two senses. A man on his face can never fall from that position. If I'm on my face, hands and knees, I literally can't fall from that position, no matter how clumsy I am. But somebody who's in prayer, going to God, bringing it to God, can't fall from that position. Over and over and over and over, continuously, constantly, his grace is here and he's carrying us and he won't let us go. We can't fall from that position. Get low to God. Lord, I need your help. I can't be the spouse I'm called to be. I can't be the parent I'm called to be. I can't be the student I'm called to be. I can't be the athlete I'm called to be. You've given me these gifts, but God, if you're not here, I can't do it. I can't do it on my own. Start with prayer. Go to him in every situation. And then stand up to the enemy. I don't know if you've seen the movie War Room. It's a Christian movie. Um, it's about this, uh, this mom. Um, she, she's got a daughter and a husband. And the husband is always out on work, work trips. And so she's very much in the right when she complains about him and says all these things that, that are negative. He doesn't, have enough, he doesn't spend enough time with his daughter. He's too focused on him going to the gym, whatever. And uh, it's very similar to what was going on in the book of James. So they're, they're quarreling with one another. She's complaining and saying everything that's probably true about this man. But she goes to an accountability partner and says all these things. 
And she says, you know, the first thing you need to do is you need to get low. You need to, you need to pray for him. Because one, that's, that's not just gonna, that God's not just gonna unleash heaven on him, but it's gonna, it's gonna heal your heart as well. But then she said, you need to speak against the devil. Remember that your spouse isn't your enemy. Your teacher isn't your enemy. Your whoever isn't your enemy. The enemy is your enemy. And the, the Bible says that the enemy is ready to pounce. It's, like, it's a lion ready to attack at any moment. It knows the, he knows the right moment to attack. And he's always here with you, ready to attack at the right moment. And so what she does is she goes down to her kitchen and she literally pretends like the enemy is right there. She says, she says, enemy, you have no claim over my daughter. You have no claim over my spouse. And in Jesus' name, I cast you out of this house. And then just to make a point, she walks out of the house because she casts him out already. She opens the door and she starts screaming in the middle of her neighborhood. And another thing, you have no claim over my soul because I belong to the creator of the world and he is mine and I'm his. Get low to God and stand up to the enemy. The third thing we do is when there's distance between us and God is we misbehave. Uh, Verse 11 and 12 says this. It says, Dear friends, as a part of God's family, as a believer, never speak against another family member. For when you slander a brother or a sister, you violate God's law of love. Here's Here's an important verse for all of us. Your duty is to not be a judge. Don't say it doesn't apply to me. Your duty is to obey the law of love. What's the law of love? Love one another. There's only one lawgiver and there's only one judge. The one who has the power to save and destroy. Who do you think you are to judge your neighbor? And here's the point. Let's stick to loving and leave the judging to him. It's so easy to hold somebody to it. But God wants you to love somebody through it. No matter what they've done to you, no matter what struggle they're battling, no matter what, love them through it. Don't hold them to it. And I want to wrap up with, with two quick stories from the Bible about times where there was distance between someone and Jesus and what closing the distance did. He said, I believe that's what this verse, this passage is about, is closing the distance between us and our relationship with God. The first story is the woman with the issue of blood. And if you're not familiar with that story, there was a woman who was, had, had a sickness for multiple years, and um, she, nobody could heal her. Nobody knew how to fix it. And so what they decided to do was cast her out of the city. They would make fun of her. They would call her names. They would, they would do very bad things. They, they kicked her out of the city. They, no one wanted to be a part of her, a part of her, her a relationship with her at all. And in the, one time, she's sitting at the city gates, outside the city gates, and she sees Jesus a distance away. And she says, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to go run to Jesus. And she goes, and she ignores the looks. She ignores the comments. She ignores everything that people are trying to do to her. She just has her eyes on Jesus. And she just grabs his robe with everything she has. And Jesus, this is the cool part, Jesus stops and he looks around and he says, who touched me? And the 12 disciples are like, Jesus, you're in like the middle of an extremely crowded city. Like literally everyone is touching you right now. See, the, the thing is, is Jesus knows the difference between somebody who's coming to church 
to check something off their checklist and somebody who's trying to grow deeper in their relationship with him. The Bible says that when she grabbed him, all of the power that Jesus had left him and went into her. And this is the best part. Before he looked at her and said, you're healed, go and sin no more. Before he said, you're healed, he said one word to her, daughter. That's the thing that Jesus says to each one of us. You're my son, you're my daughter, you're my child. When we close the distance, he's ready to, to welcome us into his family. There's another story. Maybe, maybe you have stretched as far as you can and you're still short. There's another story of a man who's paralyzed, literally can't stretch to Jesus. And what happens is, is he has a group of accountability partners who come and they say, we're carrying you to Jesus today. Maybe you've got someone in your head who you think, man, I know this person needs to come to church, but they just keep giving me the runaround every single time. That's what this guy did. They said, we're carrying you to Jesus today. He said, Jesus is busy. He's, he's too busy. He's, I, I, don't, I don't even need to be healed. I don't think he can heal me. Every excuse in the book. But they said, we don't care. We're carrying you to Jesus today. And they carry him in a stretcher. They carry him to Jesus. And they get to his house. And it's too packed to get inside. It's cr- too crowded inside. They can't get in the door. And he says, I told you so. I told you it wasn't going to work. And you know what they said? There's a roof. They went and they took him on the roof and they lowered him down from the roof. It doesn't matter how you get to the foot of Jesus. He's, he, he, before he healed this man of, of paralysis his whole life, before he healed this man, he said one word to him. Son. God is waiting for us to close the distance with nails in his hands to show you how much he loves you. And I'm going to pray real quick and just ask that God does that in each one of our lives, that that he just shows us that he's here and he's ready to greet us in open arms. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are and your radical love for, for each one of us. God, you would have died for just me. You would have died for just each person in this room if that's what it took. God, you paid the ultimate price so that we would have the opportunity to say yes to you. God, that we wouldn't look at, at what other people are doing or what other people, are have, what other people have and get jealous. God, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't try and solve somebody else's problem. But God, we would just focus on you. See you ready to welcome us in with your arms. I pray that if there's anyone who's, who's in need of that today, God, that you, you just show them that you're here, ready to welcome them in or ready to take them back. God, we all sin and we all, we all stray away. And God, I just pray if there's anyone who's in that position today, God, that you restore them as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.